this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Manichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Speaking of the union, Jay, we've got a union member here with us. He's back. John, he's back. Back again. <laughs> I think we need to announce his name as if he was an NBA player. So coming onto the court. Five nine point guard from the great north. <laughs> I don't actually know what your height is, so I'm I apologize if I was I'm a, uh, a strikingly average five foot eleven. <laughs> yeah, you got a, you got a couple inches on me, and that's fine. That's all right. I won't I won't I won't uh, be jealous or anything. Welcome back, Johnny Hooper. Great uh, to be with you. I believe we talked to you about a year ago. I can't believe it. That's I'm too long. It has been. And that was the White Stripes. That's we right. talked some White Stripes. Yeah. Uh, which was a, you know, we didn't know it, but maybe that was what pushed our Patreon community to want our bonus episodes that are exclusive to our Patreon community. We have over 20 bonus 80s episodes, but this year we're switching to the 2000s. The White Stripes could be a 2000s, you know, re- episode. Because they, they maybe planted the seed for the garage rock, yeah. Um, round table win, and that's done. as well, too. Played uh, previous to that, rid of me, PJ Harvey built to spills perfect from now on, mm. and uh, this band called Nirvana. I don't know Nir- about who? them, Nir- Nirv- Nirvana, these boys from, from Aberdeen, Washington, Nirvana. Dave Grohl did give uh, one of our Much Music BJ's uh, heck for for that pronunciation. I will let you know. Oh, he did. <laughs> yeah. Do you know Erica M. Tim, being a Buffalo boy? No. How how would yeah. I know her? Uh, I just I don't. Did you get Much Music? Is was there any way to get Much Music in Buffalo? No, I got CBC. I used yeah. to I used to watch Hockey Night in Canada with Don Cherry and Ron yeah. McLean. Mm-hmm. But uh, we did you not. I did not cable. see much music. No, yeah. I didn't have the it cable. Was part of the cable package. So right. I guess, yeah. No. What? So Erica Ann was kind of the poster child uh, BJ for much music. Gotcha. She had a really great interview with Kurt, one of the the, the better ones of late 1993. And as part of that package, Brawl was on there talking. He's like, the name of the band is Nirvana, not Nirvana. Who <laughs> would have? Okay. Yeah. I don't even know how you get to that pronunciation other than you're joking, but yeah. but that's a great uh, segue into your pick because mm-hmm. there's a connection. People might know that might, might or might not know that there's a connection between what you're about to say and, and this Nirvana band. Yes. So take it away. Coming out in April of 1994 is Holes Live Through This, recorded by Nirvana lead singer and guitarist Kurt Cobain's wife, Courtney Love. Yes. Now, I want to preface this show by saying we will not be indulging in 
conspiracy theories regarding Kurt. Uh, I find those misogynistic and BS, and that's not what we're about. So if you want to, if you want to do that, go to Reddit or 4chan or whatever those people want to do and besmirch uh, Courtney, Courtney Love. We will be talking about this record, and that's it. And did you get this record when it came out? Certainly did. Okay. And I had the great pleasure of seeing them live four months after it was released. Oh, that was, that was fresh, really fresh. fresh. Yes. Yeah. Well, because the first, so the first uh, single Miss World came out in March and then Doll Parts wasn't released until uh, November. Violet came out as the single the following year, February of 1995. And then Softer Softest was released as the fourth single in December of 1995. So this is two, basically two years worth of singles. Uh, and then for this lineup, it's a little bit different. Uh, I believe it's of the original band was um, Caroline Rue and Jill Emery when they formed. They left and were replaced by uh, Patty Schemmel. Is that how I'm pronouncing it right? Schemmel yep. on yep. drums. And then uh, who came in on bass? Was it uh, Kristen Pfaff? That's right. It wasn't Melissa, Melissa off the mirror did not come in until later. That's right. And she's on the next record. So this is, unfortunately. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is the second album by whole. The the first one was pretty on the inside that came out on Caroline records in 1991. This was released on DGC was produced by Paul Coldery and Sean Slade, who run the Fort Apache studio in Massachusetts. That's a well-known studio for people into alternative indie rock. A ton of uh, bands have recorded there. And I believe, yeah, Jay Massis mixed one of the songs. (laughs) Randomly, he mixed the song Gutless um, in New York for some reason. And then Scott Litt did... Most of the mixing with like or about half the mixes and Sean Slade did the other mixes. Kurt Cobain does appear on this record with backing vocals on tracks four and eight. But he does not have any songwriting credits. Let's just get that out there right now. I know that there's a lot of like stuff about who wrote songs. Uh, we If we have to get into that, we will. But from everything I read it, I did actually do quite a bit of research. There's nothing really to indicate that he was involved in the songwriting. He might have provided feedback on songs. I mean, it was, but if you look, actually, if you look at the timeline of like when Nirvana was touring, it would not have even been possible for him to be in the studio like a lot of this time because when they were in the studio, he was out, they were out touring um, and vice versa. Like there wasn't a lot of crossover. And some of these songs were, demo during the pretty on the inside era so not all of it was brand new material and there was a cover it's safe to say that they would have been as influenced by nirvana as anybody sure regardless of the public the the private relationships they might have had but like right yeah a lot of albums that came out in 94 sounded like Kurt cobain wrote them (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) um track seven credit in the straight world is a cover of young marble giants who I have 
I've heard that name before, but I've never listened to that band. I have no yeah. idea what they sound like. Have you listened to them, Johnny? You know, I think I, I, I sought out the original version of that song just to, to, to hear it. But yeah, I must say, I haven't really spent any time with them either. I know they don't like the version of it. Yeah. And it's probably the weakest song on the record. <laughs> he said something pretty mean about it. I, actually, I won't repeat it, uh, but if I can find it. But yeah, he, he did not like the cover of their of their song jay did you get this record when it come out came out or i i mean we couldn't escape the singles they were all over yeah no radio and mtv no i'm familiar with this band because of the singles whatever was on the radio um this is how i know them had you listened to the record at all the way through before this Mm, no i was familiar maybe probably because of the singles and maybe even deep things that got played on the radio so i was familiar with quite a bit of it but i don't remember ever sitting down and listening to it in its entirety how about you i didn't own it but i had listened to it i probably listened to it at the radio station that we were working at um and i actually did get this the follow-up uh to this record which is uh celebrity skin yes thank you for help helping me remember the name of that album because that i really liked the first single when that was came, I think that probably came out before the record. And I was like, oh, that's a cool riff. And then I think I got that CD around the time it came out. But I didn't get this one when it came out. I probably picked up the CD somewhere along the way used, but I have no idea where or how I got it. Uh, we did, uh, you know, we posted this over at Patreon and we have votes tallied and ready to go. And we have comments. And this one, Jay, I, this is almost, I read through them all, and they are almost all positive. Wow. Okay. We'll, let's see if that matches up with our poll right at the end of the episode. Our whole poll? Our whole poll. Oof, I don't like that phrase. Eesh. I don't like that at all. Please stop. Don't do <laughs> that. that from the record. I'm was sorry. A, uh, <laughs> Adam Rogan said, I literally listened to this on repeat in high school. One of the very best albums of the 90s. Frank Garcia Hell said, still rips. Jim Copany said, when it was released, I remember feeling the album was uneven, but this is definitely one of those LPs that has aged gracefully and continued to surprise me with its vibrancy all these years. I almost pronounced it as vibrancy. And then I realized it was vibrancy. Patrick Testa said, Sounds better now than it did in 1994. And Hal Phillips followed up with, I agree. I was 14 to 15 at the time and wasn't so into it, but I like it a lot now. I'd always thought doll parts seemed boring and tedious, but now I think it's amazing. Johnny Hooper, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read your comments. Oh, come on. I like that you said, Johnny ain't going to steer you wrong. Yeah. (laughs) I actually want that on a t-shirt. Johnny ain't going to steer you wrong. That's the next line of dig me out merch that comes out. <laughs> we, Jay, get that on a t-shirt. Slap it down. I like it. You don't go better tonight without doing that, Jay. <laughs> uh, Tara McCook said, it's always bothered me how this record got swallowed in the whole Kurt thing. It's such a powerful, well-crafted piece of work, but everything I read about it at the time, read about it at the time, put it directly in the shadow of the man. I have to believe, knowing what we know about his beliefs about feminism, that would have pissed him off to be centered in a story about a band full of women. It's not true. Eric Olanderson was in the band, so it was not all women. Uh, but anyway, 
such killer song craft, some absolute classics. Uh, Rich Dodgen says, a worthy album, no question. This is catchy, angst-ridden grunge with riffs to die for, and it still sounds amazing and as relevant as when it was released. I, parentheses, Courtney, love it. I see we're doing puns. We're doing puns, folks. Dewey Cole said, not only worthy, but one of the best of 1994, and there were quite a few that year. Billy Dylan, great songwriting and sounds pretty great, too. Some of the songs don't match up to the others, but it's a good listen overall. Mike Bankhead, I love it front to back. Very worthy album. Kyle Bittner, feel pretty much the same as everybody else. It was a huge step up from Pretty on the Inside. I hadn't listened to it for some time. was surprised how well it holds up. Emma Wilson, incredible. Everything about this album is perfect. All the stars aligned on this one for whole. Uh, Gavin said, fantastic album. And I like a whole podcast series delving into the album, how the album was written, as I think it's Kurt. I think we've all heard the two songs that are definitely his. I'm going to have to disagree, Gavin. Because I know that at least Violet, which is obviously one of the singles, uh, they were playing on tour two years before this record was even recorded. So because there's a whole article, you can do this, you go search it. But there are like articles detailing the fact that at the time there was all the BS about, oh, Kurt wrote it. Kurt wrote the whole record. We didn't have the benefit of the Internet necessarily to look at like setlist.com where you can go and see what like hole was playing at the, you know, Troubadour in 1992. And now you can look at that and go, Oh, they played violet or they played doll parts or something like that. Two years before they even got in the studio, Justin Wexler said, great album, all tracks, Martin K. Here's our dissenter. Never liked it, Thought it was a bit boring and bog standard. I don't know what bog means, but I'm going to guess it's not positive. I'll have to give it another try. I guess <laughs> etiquette edit. Okay, I've re-listened. It sounds good. I should like it, but it still bores me for some reason. Okay, well, that's personal, you know, it's personal opinion. We're certainly uh, allowed to uh, not like every record uh, or be, uh, you know, in love with every record that comes out. That's totally fine. Shay, let's get into it. Let's do it. Tell me one thing you liked about Live Through This by Hole. So a lot of my review is going to be based on my memory of what this band sounded like. Obviously, I'd heard the singles, um, maybe even the ones off the record after this more than these. Uh, you know, kind of in my distant past. It's been a while. I don't hear them as often as I used to. I was surprised how dynamic the record is based on my memory of the band. Uh, I sort of remember the band as being kind of a one note kind of thing. And I was blown away about uh, the dynamic changes that, that are here on the record right from the get, you know, with the, the rim shots on the drums and sort of the nuanced um, drums of Pat, Patty Schemmel. And even Eric Erlandson's guitars are really diverse. Uh, they can do quiet just as well as they can do loud you know this this album can go from you know not just like a quiet like i turned off the distortion pedal quiet but a very nuanced performance like bringing things down playing different using different tones layering a lot of acoustics not just different guitar tones from like fuzzy clean different amps but also sort of shocked how many how much acoustics was layered into this record um, so to be able to pull that down and actually have some 
levels of dynamics, even in the quieter parts, um, and then be able to explode, right? I mean, there's some aspects of this this record that are full-on, you know, intense, fuzzy, fast, and Courtney Love just belting, you know, these screams. So I was really taken by just how dramatic some of these songs can shift and still be within a, you know, very accessible song, uh, you know, pop song writing format. You know, and I I was also, I guess the last part of that that was also surprising was one, like like I said, the, the nuance of the band. I didn't realize that they were as good of a band as they are because she is just such a big personality. I tend to even forget who else was in the band if there were even other people besides her that, you know, contributing. And you definitely hear that on this record. Like this isn't just, you know, a music bed for Courtney Love. It's, you know, a band playing together. With that said, vocally, I was also, for the most part, impressed with how diverse she is on this record too too. so she's to me rising to the level of the band you know the band is a lot more like i guess competent sophisticated than i had remembered and she is definitely it feels like she's definitely being pushed by that and doing a lot of things vocally that i didn't really i think at the time understand she could do or appreciate she could do whether it be like kind of gentle, quiet, soft things to kind of lusty things to like full on breathing fire. Uh, There's some harmonies on here that are really nice and work really well, you know, kind of subtle, but, you know, kind of help some of the limitations with their voice um, and create some hooks. So even vocally, it was way more dynamic than I expected or remembered. Even not just even like tone, but even like how she uses words. You know, there'd be parts of sections of songs where she's really good rhythmically. Like she'll she'll fall back and be behind the beat, and then she'll get on top of it, and then she'll go on. You know, between verses, she'll add more words, remove words, so that the rhythm changes up a bit. Uh, to try to, it sounds like they're very conscious about like not never becoming dull or sort of falling into too many predictable um, rhythms when it comes to dynamics, whether that be vocally, musically, how the two come together, there's always something evolving, changing and varying about it, uh, which I think is really important. And maybe why I agree. I think it was Patrick said that, you know, I, I can only speak from the singles, but I can say for sure these, these singles are hitting me way better than they did in the nineties. Uh, they just sound better. I don't know. It, and I think maybe part of that is that the, the dynamics also translates to it just feels human. Like all, all aspects of this feel like, you know, humans really pushing each other and showing some flaws, but also compensating for each other and helping each other, you know, build these songs and the things that are, you know, interesting and stand up. Uh, so I, I was kind of taken by that and just sort of how. Uh, my experience now contrasted with my experience with this band, you know, whatever, 30 years ago. So uh, what worked for you, Tim? Well, in revisiting it, like you, I kind of was hearing it with new ears. uh, And 
uh, I don't know how to put this other way, a new brain, because I definitely mm. understand the album better now in terms of its lyrical content. I knew that there was stuff happening that was like, unlike a lot of the music I was listening to in 1994, um, because it's told from Courtney's perspective and her, you know, songwriting is very feminist, very aggressive and it's not like storytelling it is it is almost manifesto-esque hearing her getting to like really understand the and spend time with the uh with the uh with the lyrics made a lot more sense to me um i don't think i was smart enough to capture some of the lyrical content when i was you know a sophomore in college i also really picked up on especially with the singles how well constructed those songs are like with dull parts and miss world it is one guitar note or chord and then boom you're in the song like she's yeah. immediately starts singing on violet it's really quick like two chords boom the song starts um this is a super tight record i didn't remember how tight this record is yeah. it's only 38 minutes every song is there's no there's not a 4 minute song on this record which is like that's perfect because I think the thing that wore me down with Courtney was her voice was so aggressive that I was not in love with it at the time. No. Cause I didn't have any frame of reference for her. Yep. You know, I was primarily listening to mostly male fronted bands. So to hear her, I didn't have any like comparison to make. I was like, I don't under, I don't, I don't get this. I mean, I liked the singles. They were fine, but I didn't, I liked it when it got more refined on the next record. Um, but now listening to this now, this record stands out to me because I clearly hear like the craft and the musicality of like Patty Schemmel is absolutely just slaughtering the drums yeah. on some of these songs. Violet is a perfect example. It's very like kind of choppy and, and, and broken. And then when she hits that last chorus, she is just ripping through that thing. And Erica Landerson is doing these really cool guitar leads in the chorus of that song that you would not hear in the first record. It's that record is so much more raw and, and simplistic in its playing. And this sounds like a whole nother level. Like they clearly spent a lot of time on the road beat those songs up, you know, into the ground in terms of refining them out on the road and in the studio that you really hear like how tight all this stuff is. And the last thing I wanted to mention before handing it over to Johnny was um, 
I don't know if it's because of where they recorded with at Fort Apache with Paul and and Colordi and and Sean Slade. I'm not for sure if that's how you pronounce his name, Colord Colodi. I don't know. Um, but like a song like Softer Softest, I mean, that is like such a '90s like it's it's an alternative rock song, but it has almost a twang to it, which I was not expecting. That reminds me of like, in the weird way that like, like throwing muses would have that every once in a while or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it has this like, or even Dinosaur Jr. um, Where you'd get like just these weird elements that you're not expecting, like this twang. Where is that coming from? Um, And I don't know if it's, it might be in, because she has a, a voice with uh, personality and, and rasp that when she slows down, like she could almost be singing country song. Hmm. Um, it's just the, you know, the electric guitar that's taking it to a different place. Um, but yeah, there was, this was a definitely a complete like reevaluation for me in terms of knowing the record before and then hearing it again now and not having listened to it in forever. Uh, it definitely, a lot of stuff jumps out at me now that I never caught the first time around. So Johnny, what works best for you on this record? The timeless nature of it. Uh, the production values are first rate. Uh, Coldery and Slade, yes, they, they ran Fort Apache, but this record is recorded at Triclops in Marietta, Georgia. Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken, where they recorded um, Siamese Dream, I think. And um, what they've captured is remarkable. It's, it's like a completely different band from Pretty on the Inside. And from everything that I've read, it seems to be down to, obviously, songwriting chops went up a completely different level. But having Kristen Pfaff as this very accomplished musician, like I believe classically trained, mm-hmm. Uh, apparently all the bass uh, tracks were laid. Those are raw takes and they didn't add anything to it. And they only, yeah, it was like first takes. All all songs are raw takes and they didn't have to chop it up or play with it or or anything like that. So they became like a much better rhythm section. Um, Most importantly, I think it's the lyrical content is striking now because you're hearing lyrics like, I want my baby. Who took my baby? She's talking about, you know, her child being taken from her when, of course, this famous article comes out in Vanity Fair about them potentially taking drugs while she's pregnant and, you know, welfare services taking away their child for a period of time. You can just hear through almost every song this bitterness, this anger, this rage that this woman is uh, kind of living through. And it absolutely pours out of your speakers, even low this many years later. So I think it's timeless because of production values. It's timeless because of songwriting chops. And it's timeless because of lyrical content. And that's why it's one of the great rock records of the 90s and beyond. Uh, This is a weird combination or to, to, to make, or not combination, but comparison to make. 
Um, there's there's a lot of different themes on this record. There's there's themes of there's like motherhood comes up a lot. Um, abuse, but and body image comes up, and the song um, "Plump," which is third track, it reminded me of the Mang Street Preachers' Four Stone Seven Pound" because it's about body image and like self worth through body image, and like there's it's there's lyrics like "I'm eating you, I'm overfed, your milk's in my mouth, it makes me sick. Do you fake it?" for me like i have and like it's this weird combination of of ideas and it's not as like abrasive as the manics can be on their lyrical content sometimes but there's there's a lot happening here for a mainstream big label record that was not happening lyrically on with most bands at this time you know, like I didn't look of look to Stone Temple Pilots for like deep, thoughtful lyrics. It was just like weird word combinations that, that Scott Weiland would put together. And this is like a whole like you could write a book on these lyrics. I mean, they are there's a lot going on. And she references I the thing I realized when I was doing some research is like she's referencing like um gone with the wind. That's where the phrase live through this comes for comes from. And it's in the song asking for it. Um, there's references to uh, poems by different uh, poets. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening here that was just not being talked about in Amer- at least American mainstream rock records. And it's interesting that. That all got, kind of got washed away in in the whole Kurt and Courtney thing. Like, I know the singles were big, but I don't remember the conversation around like, like MTV should have done a special talking with like young girls who were listening to this record and asking them about the lyrics and the themes. Like, that would have been really interesting because I know we don't remember this, but MTV used to do interesting things like Rock the Vote or like the fact that like the first two seasons of of real world have like put gay people on that were not on TV at that time. And they talk about AIDS and abortion. Like that was revolutionary for that time. And I feel like this record had, has a lot more depth than we probably gave it credit for at the time. Again, being dumb 20 year olds. Well, yeah. I mean the, I, my timeline on, on things, you know, gets confused sometimes. I did not remember that this came out a week after Kurt died. So that obviously probably shaped the trajectory from that point forward of like what this record was going to be about, how people were going to receive it, who she was, everything was kind of thrown into a tailspin. That's true. Because of that. And it's named lived through this. That's insane. The the prophecy of this whole situation is it's it's crazy to me. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I found that eerie too. Mm-hmm. There's also a weird co- uh, connection to a previous guest um, that we had on the show. Um, so if you remember when we talked to uh, Michelle, I'm blanking on the last name. She was in Babes of Toyland. Um, this album is dedicated to Joe Cole, 
who was her boyfriend that was murdered. He was a roadie for Black Flag and the Rollins Band, and he was the guy that was murdered during a robbery after a whole show. He had seen Hole at the Whiskey Go-Go and then was robbed and killed, and she talked about it on that episode. Michelle Leon, you talking about? Yes. Thank yeah. you, Leon. Uh, so if you have the record, there's actually a thing that's dedicated to him in the record. Uh, so on top of like, like you mentioned, like Kurt passing away the, the week before it's, it's already heavy because of that dedication from what I read. Um, there was a lot, a bit of crystal meth was happening during this record, uh, between the rhythm section. Let's just mm. say there was some, there was some fun happening, uh, from the new guys in the band. And um, so there was like a lot of darkness around this record already. And then for it to happen. And, and that title is just like, oof, it's a lot. And a when lot does Path die? Um, Not that long after, right? Yeah. Uh, she passed away that June. June 16th. Um, of a heroin overdose so that's only so i got to imagine like that's april i gotta imagine that well did they go on tour immediately because kurt had just passed away did did hole go out right after like i'm sure they were probably scheduled to but i don't know if she passed away on tour or if she passed away um like at home or something um yeah so in June, just before they were scheduled and work on a tour, she oh, okay. was found dead. There you go. And that, uh, and that, and she was that also changes the potentially her dying. It shakes up the band dynamic again in a way where yep. it feels like these players are kind of magical together, right? Like they're able to like bring a sophisticated level of like music. Uh, musical knowledge they played together a lot they're complimenting what courtney love does really well with her dying it feels like it can shake up maybe the dynamic of like well is this really a band you know or is it just her vehicle to do whatever she wants to do like and how much say do the people have going forward and like all of that can come into question when obviously you lose a member uh, I didn't know this, but Kristen Paff, uh, or is it Paff or Faff? You pronounce the P? I'm going with Faff. Faff. She was born in Buffalo, and she is inducted into the Buffalo Museum or Music Hall of Fame, um, along with the Goo Goo Dolls and Lance Diamond, incredible Lance Diamond, because that's about all I obviously, know. That's obviously. well, Rick James is also from Buffalo. Can't forget that, right? Uh, I am not in the Buffalo Music. Hall of Fame for some reason. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. We're still working on it. Okay. Dot 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 yet. Right. Yet. Jay, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record? Uh I still can struggle with her vocal delivery. And mostly just I think she's flat <laughs> quite often. And sometimes that's fine. And other times uh it it, it it takes me a little bit. I will say on this record, they do a lot to help with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it be the harmonies or just 
her knowing like where to kind of keep her voice but still be dynamic um way they vary up the dynamics they, they do a lot of work on this record i think to to make sure that she's vocally in a place that's it sounds good but you know I, I, there are things here and there that kind of hit me like uh it's just a little flat and kind of not in an american idol like way but just in like not as musical as i'd like it to be uh i think the cover is not a great decision so credit in the straight world we talked about earlier mm-hmm. um it sound it just doesn't sound you can just tell from a songwriting standpoint it does not follow what this record does This record has a very specific take on songwriting that defines it. And once you kind of pick up on it, you know, it becomes the signature rhythm of the record, how these songs are written, the flow that they take, the dynamics of them. And that song is just obviously not written by them. Uh, It just does not follow that pattern at all. And that's more my criticism. I'm not familiar with the original. But it stood out to me as being very different from a songwriting standpoint. Yeah. On a record that's otherwise very consistent and cohesive. Uh, I, I realize they're probably trying to fill out the record a bit because it's on the short side, but um, I wouldn't mind dropping it. Yeah, I agree with you. The one thing that bothers me, I, I think it's an incredibly strong record. The last track, Rockstar is basically an attack on Riot Girl and the Olympia scene and Bikini Kill and Bratmobile and those I feel like that's punching down. Yeah. Like what there it's a small school of a bunch of like feminists who play punk rock. Why do you feel the need to like go after them? Like that just seems like such a unnecessary attack and I understand that you know, there was tension between Courtney Love and, and certain musicians, which I find weird because weren't Kurt and Courtney friends with Kim and Thurston from Sonic Youth? Sure. Yeah. And and they had Kathleen Hanna in one of their videos. She's in the video for she was she was friends with that band. So you think that like they Kathleen and Courtney would have been cool with each other, but apparently she did not like that whole scene um i just found that i just find that weird like why would you do that like i guess if you're gonna do that put it make it a b-side or something like that like i don't know i don't know just it just rubs me the wrong way but the Um, uh the only thing about that song that that rubbed me the wrong way was uh it starts off with such a killer hook like that line is like oh my god this is brilliant melodically 
Mm-hmm. And then the chorus is like, uh, it's like over the top angry. I'm like, uh, of course, it's kind of a letdown for how strong this start- song starts off as. Well, I went to school in Olympia. What's that actually reminded me the way that it's like, and again, she does this. It's like one or two chords right into the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, it gave, it had like a pixies kind of feel to it. Mm, yeah. And then it doesn't go in that direction. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was going to be like a weird pop song when it started. That's what I was hoping. That's what I was hoping. And then it gets super angry. Johnny, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record? Yeah. It's just, the, it's really just the cover. Uh, Rockstar is, it could be a potential throwaway, but I feel, I still find it kind of a fun, silly ride anyway. And, uh, I could still get a few kicks out of it, but, um, yeah, that credit, that cover needs to go. That just doesn't need to be there. Yeah. And especially since the band or the, the, the person who wrote it hates the cover. Yeah. <laughs> like this is a lose, lose situation. It's, it's a, it did not work out. No. This is not the Black Crows covering Hard to Handle. It's it's uh, <laughs> not. It feels like a B side too. You're like, yeah. okay, if you want to do it, like throw it on a B side, and yeah, I don't think it has a place on the record, especially in the middle of the record. It's just like such an odd placement. Yeah, it's yeah. a momentum killer. Um, so we don't need to talk about why this wasn't bigger because it was huge. Actually, uh, it's sold. It's gone platinum in the U.S. And um, it made fifty. It made it to fifty-two on the U.S. Billboard, twenty-nine on the Canadian Top Albums and CDs chart from nineteen ninety-four. Uh, it charted in Australia, Belgium, uh, Europe, and I mean in Germany, Scotland, Sweden, the UK. It was on the year-end like best album charts. Uh, it's been you know, 1,001 albums you need to hear before you die. The, the 2003 Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time. You know, it's the best of the year. So it's it's a well-regarded re- record. And it got good reviews when it came out. I mean, I'm looking through it. Like, nobody gave it a negative review. Like, you're, you're looking for, like, Rolling Stone or Robert Christo, you know, the Dean. And uh, everybody was on board with this pretty much either like a nine or a 10 or, you know, five stars or whatever uh, when it came out. So, yeah, this was not uh, this was not missed when it came out. Um, And it had two. I mean, they were putting out singles for up until the end of the next year. So. But it took a while, didn't it? It took a while for them to get the next record out because they had. Like a comp that came out in 97. 
And then Celebrity Skin didn't come out until end of 98. Yeah. So that, and that's a that's a long time um, between records. Got Dean Castronova plays drums on that record. It was produced by Michael Bainhorn, who was like that's a that's not the guy I never would have expected a band like Hole to record with a guy who recorded uh you know like Soundgarden and the Chili Peppers and Marilyn Manson. Like it's just that's an odd uh choice, but uh, whatever. Um let's get into our final ratings for this. We'll give the poll results in a minute. Might be able to guess where they're gonna go based on our comments from earlier. But Jay, where do you land? Is this a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single? This is a worthy album for me. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I uh, didn't expect to, but to be honest, like I said, it has a lot to give. I think it you know, works well on repeated listens as well. It's short. You know, if you, if you, if you cut out that cover in the middle, it's even shorter. So you're going to get it in and out in under, you know, what, 34 minutes? uh so yeah this is this holds up really well too i mean yes it's very 90s i think from a probably probably lyrical standpoint i don't know you're gonna hear much many bands now with lyrics this this sharp um and angry at least from women for whatever reason but um yeah it's a worthy album for me what about you tim I agree. And it's the same thing. Like the, the, the cover is completely unnecessary. Um, it's a, but yeah, it's, a this, great, it's a great album cover too. Like it fits yes. the record really well. Well thought out. Yeah. Um, the backside is a picture of Courtney love when she's like very young and it's like her in like a, I want to say like, like just a button down, like plaid shirt, like, you know, like a flannel. And then, um, And like a pair of black jeans. So you see the comparison between like the young Courtney, that's actually her, and then this model on the cover who has the mascara running. Uh yeah, it's 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 a well done uh cover. I definitely agree with that. But yeah, it's a worthy record. Um glad we got to go back to it because I feel like this doesn't, I mean, people know it came out. They know the singles, but where there's these songs aren't getting played anymore. You know what I mean? Like classic, I don't hear whole on classic rock that's playing Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. I hear, uh, uh, what is the single off of uh, Celebrity Skin? Yeah. I hear that. Is that, is that the big single from that song? Yeah, from that album? Uh, the one with the, uh, the, the bigger riff celebrity skin is the name of the song yeah, yeah yeah i hear that like as music beds on like sports shows or whatever like you right. just hear that like in the ether uh quite a bit but these song, these other this record live through this now johnny it's a foregone conclusion but go ahead and make it uh, official johnny ain't gonna steer you wrong <laughs> Coming to a tear shirt near you. Yeah. No, this is this is a classic. It's a stone cold classic. It was it was then, and it's even more so now. That's what I find 
really interesting about this record. Even better I, now. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, the I just want to point out, so we mentioned Celebrity Skin, which came out in 98. Then they, uh, whole, well, Courtney Love did not put out a record under the name Hole until 2010. Um, on that record, uh, that's the one where Linda Perry does some co-writing and Billy Corgan does some co-writing. Um, Kelly Scott plays drums on that record. He's on uh, one of the songs. Okay. Uh, the I'm guessing it's the Linda Perry. Yes, it's the Linda Perry penned song, Letter to God. Uh, your favorite drummer, Jay, Jack Irons plays drums on that record. Mm. And uh, I don't recognize anybody in her band at like they're just names of people like Stu Fisher and Sean Daly. Like who, who are these people? I think they were kids, literally almost kids. Uh, Dave Sardi from Bark Market did some of the uh, mixing. There's, there's a lot of technical assistance uh, on this record. A lot of like additional engineers. And I'm guessing that's probably Linda Perry's crew since uh, her wrecking crew. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's quite the change from pretty on the inside. <laughs> quite the evolution. So our Patreon. But it's not that far of a change from Celebrity Scan, right? I mean, that's true. They sort of cross that threshold on that record. And I don't know that you can go back once you cross it. Yes. Yeah, that's stu- true. Into the studio musician seeking perfection. Look, once you go that route, it's hard to come back. Um, well, the Celebrity Skin had both the Tom Lord Algae and the Chris Lord Algae both mix oh, on wow. that record. So you get the both Lord Algies. That's <laughs> a double disc of Lord Algae. And the names on that one, too, like Chris Vrenna from uh, Nine Inch Nails. And, uh, yeah, wow. uh, he, he's got programming credits on that record. Uh, Billy Corgan played bass on a couple songs. Um, he did do writing on that record, too, right? Mm-hmm. Credit. Yeah, he wrote. Right he has wrote co-writes on like skin. three songs. Jordan Zadarozny has a co-write. Oh, look at the star. Huh. I forgot about that. Yeah, he's one of those guys that was like a, him and, you know, those failure and, and Blink of the Star. Well, he's Blink of the Star, but they were like around that whole world, I guess. And we're showing up on records because I guess because. Well, they had a connection to Tool and Tool was a bit bigger, but I don't know that Tool. I, I can't imagine like Maynard James Keenan coming down to hang with Courtney at the studio in L.A. That doesn't <laughs> seem like something he would do. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that all happens. Let's get to the poll from Patreon. Drum roll, please. We're the album 88 percent. Better EP, 6 percent. Decent single six percent. So the vast majority, that is a Russian presidential election right there. 88%. <laughs> Worthy album for poll. For whole. Worthy album poll hole. Whole poll. I didn't say it. You <laughs> you you put that in my brain and then it happened. Uh thank you for bringing this record to us. Yeah. This was definitely one we needed to talk about in terms of you know telling the story of the 90s it's it's one i would not have gone to myself i I would have just stayed with where my mind was on this band and 
assumed I knew this record and not taking the time to go back and listen to it. So good pick. I'm glad. I can't wait to see what you got lined up next for us. Oh God. The mind wanders, Tim. I'm, I'm, I'm scanning the CD, CDs behind him. Yeah, I'm trying to look at those spines. <laughs> I see. No uh, okay. Well, if you would like to be like uh, Mr. Hooper, you can join us at Patreon at digmeoutunion.com or dmounion.com. Join the union and you can vote in the polls like the one for this episode. You can vote in the monthly tournaments of death and destruction where 27 albums enter the Thunderdome, but only one leaves four weeks of voting every month. You get through a lot of, a lot of discussion on, on stuff. And um, I've learned that the Matthew good band must have 500 albums because they seem to be in every poll with a different it's, record. It's the same album. Oh, does it keep coming up the same yeah. record? Yeah. It's nominated by different people. I feel like, Matthew Goodman, Letters to Cleo, and uh, there's probably one other one. They, they seem to be in like every other poll. Like they just keep getting submitted by people, and we're we're wow. finally taking the hint. Let's put it that way. Letters to Cleo one, so we'll be yes doing that one. Spoiler soon. alert: next episode will be Letters yeah. to Cleo because they finally won a poll. I'd love to know how many polls they've been in uh, before this. I'm going to guess seven because <laughs> that's that's what it seems like. Also, it. Uh, Patreon, you can read our box newsletter, which comes out every week. When new music comes out, we talk about it at the box newsletter relevant to the 80s, 90s, and now 2000s. We talk about music, we talk about documentaries, we talk about movies, we talk about uh, books, TV shows, newsletters, pamphlets. If it's relevant, we'll talk about it. Box newsletter, two new reviews every week, along with a calendar of new releases. Those polls I was speaking of, you go to digmeoutpodcast.com, you suggest an album there, and it goes into our monthly poll. It's also where you can sign up for the newsletter. And then Apple Podcast is where you go to leave positive feedback about this podcast. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Mm-hmm.